Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning, this is Jazz Shapers. I'm Elliot Moss and it's where the shapers of jazz, soul and blues meet the shapers of business. I'm very pleased to say, very honoured to say that my guest today is none other than Dame Rosemary Squire, co-founder and joint CEO of Trafalgar Entertainment Group, a live entertainment business. And as you'll be hearing, also she was the co-founder of the Ambassador Theatre Group, which is enormous. As a child, thanks to regular theatre trips with her parents, Rosemary was bitten by the theatre bug. Age 17, she announced to friends outside Nottingham Playhouse that she wanted to be a theatre manager. I didn't know what that meant, she says, but Richard Ayer's work there as artistic director had inspired me and I wanted to help create that experience. After working as a relief house manager, then freelancing production management with her husband, Howard Panter, they founded the theatre company, as I mentioned, the Ambassador Theatre Group, in 1992. By 2016, the company's scale, that's about 6,000 employees, made the pair feel like strangers backstage, they said. They left the company that year and went back, as they say, to their roots, acquiring ATG's Trafalgar Studios in 2017 to establish Trafalgar Entertainment Group. We'll be talking to Dame Rosemary about her vision to create a much improved experience and her hope to inspire young entrepreneurs, particularly women in theatre, film and TV industries. We've also got brilliant music from, amongst others, Nina Simone, McCoy Tyner and Joe Henderson. That's today's Jazz Shapers. Here's Janet Lawson Quintet and Sunday Afternoon. That was the Janet Lawson Quintet with Sunday Afternoon. Dame Rosemary Squires, my business shaper, co-founder at Trafalgar Studios and the group that has now got a much beautiful sounding name and obviously the Ambassador Theatre Group. Hello. Hello. Nice to be here. I'm so happy you have joined. Thank you. You're a big name in this world of theatre. And as I said, you got the bug early. Is everyone in theatre and especially the management of it passionate about theatre? Is that what it's about? Does it start there? I think it's about being passionate about telling stories. I think you've got to be interested in other people's stories because I would say it's in our spinal cord somewhere that we need to hear each other's stories. It's part of what makes us human. You know, we sat round as those cavemen round the campfire and listened to other people's stories. So I was really fortunate as a kid. Uh, my parents, particularly my mother, was passionate about theatre, took me 13th birthday off to the RSC in Stratford. So I was exposed to lots of theatre and exposed to great theatre in Nottingham, in the regions, not in London. Uh, you know, there's, we're very fortunate in the UK that there's brilliant theatre up and down the country. So I saw fantastic cutting-edge work with Richard Eyre as the artistic director, Judy Dench, Jonathan Price, wonderful actors. And, you know, I was 15, 16, 17, formative years, and as you say, by the time I was late teens, I already knew that I responded to, to those stories. I wanted to be part of it. And I think theatre's a way of life. 
it's certainly not a nine-to-five job. Uh, you know, it all happens in the evening, so you've got to be prepared to do your work in the day in the office, but also to put in the evenings too. So, You mentioned exposure and that point about accessibility. And often it's said of the arts in this country, different kinds of arts, high, low, medium, especially high, that that's the issue. Uh, and it strikes me that from a very young age as well, you have thought about how other people might be connected. Is that still part of the vision for everything that you do? Completely. I think it's a massive challenge in this country that um, performing arts, creative arts, are being taught less and less in schools. You know, when I was a kid at school, the school play, the house play, the form play, they were really... And the youth clubs in those days, I used to go to youth club, they always had, you know, playlets and we went off to see things. So in a way, I got a lot of exposure through school and through uh, home life as well. And many, many kids don't have that opportunity. And I think one of the great things that with our new company, Trafalgar Entertainment, we've been able to focus on are two areas, two businesses that we've bought, which really do make the arts much more accessible. Um, One of them is our Trafalgar releasing business, which uh, is the market leader in the UK for distributing content, for example, the Metropolitan Opera, Bolshoi Ballet. So high quality um, classical work, if you like, but it makes Glyndebourne, for example, we do. Uh, It means you can go for £20, £30 in your local cinema to see the as-live experience Whereas if you went in the flesh, you know, it might cost you over £200 and it's perhaps something you could only do very, very rarely as a big treat. Whereas you can afford something that's under 30 quid. You could go uh, much more regularly and it, it democratises all of that. Mm-hmm. I'm really a firm believer that it that it open opens up the, the, the classical arts in that way. The other business we've bought that I think really does uh, make a difference to young people in this country is our performing arts enrichment business. It's called Stagecoach Theatre Arts. My children have uh, have been on a few of those camps over the years. Yeah. They're brilliant. And weekly, an hour of singing, Mm. dancing and acting. Um, It's uh, great skills for life. Nobody's saying that all the kids who go to stage arts are going to become actors. But as we say, with Stagecoach, it gives you creative courage for life. It's life skills. It's about learning how to be part of a team, to present yourself, to look somebody in the eye. Everyone wants to get their kids off their phones. You know, my youngest spends a lot of time on her phone. And I think doing something like Stagecoach and learning those basic skills is a, is a great skill for life. When you were way back at the beginning of the 90s, what possessed you to try and actually establish a business within this, this passion, this love of yours of telling stories and, and theatre? How was the Ambassador Theatre Group created in those early days? I think it came out of a recognition that it was an unbelievably fragmented business that theatre in in the UK was a bit of a cottage industry. So there were different elements. There were the people who ran the theatres, there were the people who produced the shows, there were the people who did the lighting, the scenery, all of that. Um, And I think it was very hard because when I first worked with Howard, he was an independent producer. That's Howard, my husband, who's became co-founder with me of ATG and, and again now of Trafalgar. Um, he was a young producer as an independent producer. It was really tough being able to get the venues to to put your show into a venue. And I'd come from 
a bit more of a venues background. The, the very first job I had in the West End was actually... Um, uh, I was a relief house manager and then I became assistant general manager and sort of went up the rungs and became a general manager at that company. So I'd had quite a lot of operational experience um, and I sort of knew the other side of it. And what we wanted to create was a more integrated business so that you could control the moving parts more easily. And we also felt that it was not just London focused. Mm -hmm. I've always been very clear that... One of the great things in this country is the length and breadth of the UK is that there's fantastic theatre. I didn't grow up in London and the theatre I saw in Nottingham was world class. And there's still world class theatre up and down the UK and that's why it's so important that, you know, producers continue to tour, to produce work regionally. So we looked at an opportunity that was a management contract for a regional theatre and when the opportunity came up for a very small London playhouse. And we wanted to, if you like, make that circle of integrating the business and running it as a whole. And what's it like all these years working with your husband? It uh, has its pluses and its minuses. <laughs> <laughs> she says in a balanced way. <laughs> you certainly can't leave work at the front door. And I'm sure no. my kids would say, oh, for God's sake, stop talking about work again, Mum. It just is too much. It does mean you've got great shorthand and you can make... Almost, I mean, almost no words, I imagine. Just a look, a glance in a meeting and you're totally. done. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Literally, yeah, the eyebrows were raised and thank yeah. you very much. Really? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, you've got a great shorthand. Mm. You can work together as a team. And I would say it's worked professionally because we have very different skills. So, so your skills are and his skills? What are the super skills uh, if we were playing the Avengers Howard game? Howard is a fantastic producer. He came in from uh, a creative background. He went to drama school, to Lambda. But he did the uh, he did some acting, but but it was his course was mainly the production side, so technical direction, stage management, lighting, all of that side of it. Um, and he cut his teeth working in stage management, assistant directing, directing lighting shows. He's pretty well done every single job behind the curtain. Mm. Whereas I came from more of a business background. I went to university. Uh, when I was at uni, I was business manager for the National Student Drama Festival, which is a great place where many, many university students to this day cut their teeth in theatre. So I was business manager. Then I went off and did a postgraduate in the States, came back. And I'd loved theatre so much that I'd always had jobs. And I would say this to any young person who comes to talk to me, you know, get a few skills if you're going to work in a call centre, try and work in a call centre that's related to something you're interested in. Mm. Um, you know, work in a bar, in a theatre, because you'll get to see the shows, probably. Uh, you might get a free ticket or tear the tickets front of house so you can watch the shows. I did that right through from school, through university and after university when I came back from the States and was looking for a job because I decided whilst I was there that I didn't want to be an academic. This wasn't going to be for me. You know, I didn't want to spend four or five years writing a thesis on a, an obscure European novel or something, which is probably what I would have ended up doing, that actually I wanted to work in, in the sector that I was most interested in and most passionate about. So I started off with operational jobs. I had a few skills. I was pretty good on the numbers. So I had part-time in the morning in the accounts department and afternoons and evenings, you know, doing operational things in the theatres. 
are still married and still working together. Yep, so we do different things. Yes, absolutely. Made it keep yeah. it, you sound, make it sound very simple as well, doing different things there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's not quite like that. It's well, just... we don't sit in the same office, which no. I think if you actually did sit in the same office all day... You be... might go mad. You might go mad. <laughs> Stay yeah. with me for much yes. more from my guest. That's Dame Rosemary Squire. She's coming back in a couple of minutes. But first, we're going to hear from one of our partners at Mishkondorea with some advice for your business. Hello, I'm Kate Higgins from the Corporate Department at Mishkondorea. One of the key issues facing our business clients is how to achieve the long-term success and prosperity of their business whilst dealing with the day-to-day needs of running the business. One method of achieving this is to have in place a sound system of corporate governance. And this is an area where we work closely with our clients. It's a good idea to set it at an early stage and then reassess as the business grows. So what is sound corporate governance? Well, helpfully, there is new guidance in the form of the weights principles for corporate governance, and these apply to private companies. There are two main areas which the weights principles tackle. The first surrounds the board makeup, but the second area is where I want to focus today. It's about achieving success in business through identifying a strong corporate purpose and setting a values and culture that underpin that purpose. One area that's recognised as being key to this is having strong relations with stakeholders. Businesses these days, particularly large businesses, will need to report in their annual report and accounts on what mechanisms they have in place to engage with their stakeholders. Stakeholders will include the company's employees, suppliers, customers and financiers. Having strong relationships with your stakeholders will help you attract and retain business, investment and talent. So ask yourself, how do I measure up against the new guidelines? Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. There are many ways for you to enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers guests and indeed to hear this programme again. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can hear many of the recent programmes or if you pop Jazz Shapers into iTunes or your favourite podcast platform, you can enjoy the full archive as well. But back to today's guest, it's Dame Rosemary Squire. She's right here in the hot seat, co-founder and joint CEO of Trafalgar Entertainment Group, which is and I quote, a live entertainment business. I love it when you have to come up with these little names, right? So you go, how am I going to say it? With this, yes, but we're more than that. And I can imagine the meeting go, okay, well, that'll do, live entertainment. Um, in terms of going again, and I've just glossed over 20 years of your life just because, or 15, whatever it was, and I, I want to come back briefly to it. When you go again and you get closer and it's small and there's room and I guess you've then got investment opportunities, what was the feeling like emotionally? Because it, it strikes me that you've got complete control and command of what's going on in this business because you've been in it so long intellectually. But the feeling of, for Rosemary, when she went, we're going to go again and then I'm then I'm moving, was there, a, was there a, a gut? Was there a reaction or was it just...? I think it's quite hard suddenly to go from having a big team because obviously in a bigger business, a lot of the skills, uh, particularly when you're at the top of it, is about managing your team and setting the sense of direction for the business and articulating it. So I think what it did was it makes you actually really go back to basics and think about, you know, why are we doing this? What's this for? And they're different, they're different skills to, if you like, managing big groups of people. On the one hand, you feel a bit naked because you've not got the folks there to ask their opinions or give you information or to to go off and work on something with you. But it's also liberating. So I guess it's 
a bit of both, really. Mm. Feeling more exposed, but also not having a huge uh, responsibility and infrastructure. And that question about why we're doing it is essentially looking at, well, just because we've done it like that forever doesn't mean that's the right way of doing it. And by mm-hmm. the way, I've got no legacy here. I've mm-hmm. got no, I've got 200 people to reorganise. I can actually say, no, we're going to do it like that. Mm-hmm. Did you find that you have managed to reinvent some of the ways you do business and some of the ways that you now are able to connect with audiences? And if so, can you give me an example? I think we've been much more hands-on. I think it's given us greater freedom to look outside the sort of narrow box, if you like, or the narrow bandwidth of what we were doing with the large company. So, for example, looking at children and young people with our enrichment business, for example, looking in other media, the live broadcast business, that's been very exciting. We're also doing much more on the digital side because I'm very interested in about how I'm about selling and, if you like, creating the full circle service when you sell a production. It's mean we've able to work with new work on a smaller scale, which is very exciting. I was very proud that we have a young production team now, brand new. They were all put together since we started Trafalgar. But we actually got 12 Olivier nominations last year, which for a brand new little startup company was quite because that's the kind of vote of your peers mm. and people who go to theatre, that they will be nominating your productions or the productions you've been involved with for the awards of the industry in London. So that was very encouraging and very heartening. Do you actually think that it's easier to be creative when you haven't got to think about industrial scale creativity? Because once you've got a few thousand people, as you did in, in the old business, um, there's a danger that you have that process trumps ideas just because you've got to organise process. And and when you become smaller, you can actually just really nurture one thing and, and see it flourish. If that's true, how will you avoid creativity being dissipated as you inevitably get bigger? Because you will, just because I can see it in your eyes that <laughs> you, know, you want to and that's what's going to happen. I think it's just an instinct, actually, to make things bigger. I think if you're entrepreneurial, you, you know... All the entrepreneurs I know are serial entrepreneurs. You're not going to go into something without ideas and a vision. So almost inevitably, you want to grow what you're, what you're involved in. I think when you've got 40 or 50 huge theatres that are hungry for content, it's a big pressure. It does mean you've got to look at work on an industrial scale. It gives you a lot of clout in the marketplace and you can also be more strategic about how you organise things. So there are pluses and minuses. I think, you know, when you're at the, 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 the smaller, more cutting edge end, you have less control about where your shows can go because you don't control the buildings. That was my point about why we set the business up in the first place. But it gives you freedom. So it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. As you said also, Eddie, you're the, the more business-oriented side of the partnership. doesn't mean how it isn't business-oriented. I'm sure he is. But how would people describe you in the business in terms of your own style? Because we now talk a lot about women in business. Suddenly it's become sort of some big topic, which, is, again, my, my mother ran her own business and floated and do these other things. And I, I don't really personally, because I haven't seen it, I don't know the, the issue. But, of course, statistically, we know there are lots of conversations going on about the lack of women in leadership positions. You've been in a leadership position for a long time. What would people say is your style? I would want them to say that my door was open, that I've really tried to make a difference as a boss. I've been banging on 
for more years than I care to remember, decades, about equality and representation and equal rights. And particularly for me, I've got three kids. I've got one child with a, she's now a young woman in her 30s, but with severe learning difficulties and that juggling act that particularly for women, you know, having a family and and juggling the job. So I think I would hope the legacy... Um, of the larger businesses that I've been involved in, particularly with ATG, mm. is that we tried to address that. And actually, I was very encouraged. You know, now large companies have to publish their statistics of the gender pay gap, that actually of all the large live theatre groups in the UK, ATG for the last two years has definitely come out the best, which I would say probably is is a legacy of mine. Our CFO, Helen, who was with me there for many years, we worked very, very hard to have equal representation of women and men. And when I was running it, we really did have um, genuinely equality in terms of the senior management. I think it's such a waste otherwise. Why would you want to waste half the talent and resource in the land without hearing what they've got to say and what they've got to contribute? Sonia Friedman was very much part of that team when we were building ATG. And look at her, you know, she's arguably one of the world's finest producers, most Mm. prolific. She's most um, uh, recognised and is an amazing talent. Why would you want to miss out on half the talent of the world and not... Uh, And I've always said, you know, my job would be done and I would get off my soapbox when our national theatre, which is all of ours, we all fund it, has had not its first female artistic director, but its second. Mm. Um, We still haven't had the first yet, so I'm still on the soapbox, I have to say. And what do you think, I mean, obviously you made active decisions and you looked at the talent base and you said, I want brilliant men and brilliant women. Is it any more complicated than that? I mean, am I missing something or is it just that people stick to... Uh, a kind of a sexist view of the world because this is what always I struggle with it seems so obvious what one need, I think to do. you do have to create conditions where it's okay to balance your family life and your working life and I have to say I think that's true for everybody mm. I've always felt that we should have generous maternity and paternity provisions that it's okay to have a family it was okay we invented job sharing and working from home you know 20 plus years ago um, when the technology was nothing like as good. Predominantly, it was women who did that because, you know, I had young children myself. And actually, it's something I always say about leadership. When you're the boss, you can actually really make a difference. You can change, which is why we should all aim high. You know, girls and young women should aim high, should want to get to the top because it's when you're at the top, you can actually make a difference. I think um, the imbalance is still there in terms of casts, you know, 50-50. If you look down the Radio Times, you'll see in film and television that women are still fairly massively underrepresented, as are different ethnic minorities Mm. too. But it is something that you, you miss part of the story if you don't include everybody particularly women, you know, 45 to 75, there's a sort of massive gap that you either become a national treasure um, or you're, you're glamorous and young. Um, but in the between, lots of women just disappear. We'll have our final chat with my guest today. That's Dame Rosemary Squire, plus play a track from Joe Henderson. That's in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Kondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Thank you. 
that was Joe Henderson with Night and Day. I'm with Dame Rosemary Squire. Well, I just call Rosemary now because we're very close. I've <laughs> dropped the Dame just within 35 minutes. Um, I'm just with her for a few more minutes. You talked about women in the in the workplace and everything you said must be right. Your own personal style, you strike me as someone who's utterly fair, who looks at the big picture. I imagine you don't suffer fools very well. If you don't, how do you deal with that? Is there a... It, again, it strikes me that you'd be quite relaxed is the wrong word, but you wouldn't be petulant. Sometimes people get stroppy, don't they, with people that aren't performing, and especially in a more artistic environment. Yeah. How have you managed that? Over I the think years? I've always felt people should work hard and do their very best. And unfortunately, it's often come to me to, to be the one who says it's not working. Mm. Uh, I think you have to give people clear parameters. I think you have to be good on the communication. I think you have to measure, you know, do all the uh, opportunities to put things right. And if it really doesn't work, you have to be brave and bold and say it really isn't working. And that happens sometimes. Yeah. Not very often, yeah. because I think if you invest a lot of time and effort in trying to choose the right people, then it happens much less frequently. The things you talked about in terms of get to the top, women get to the top, then you can actually you know, be a role model. It strikes me again that it's important to you to be a role model. I just want to embarrass you for a moment. You got your damehood last year for services theatre and philanthropy. Again, I haven't even talked about the £17 million plus that you've raised since 2010 or been part of, which is extraordinary, for I think it's the TikTok club at the Great Ormond Street Hospital. So I know I have talked about it, which is good. Um, first woman to represent the UK at the World Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 2015. The only woman to have won the EY UK entrepreneur of the year award do these things mean anything to you do you do you like them does it matter or is there something bigger that, that drives you I suppose I've always looked at it as trying to be a positive role model mm. you know I think I would say to any young woman you need your education you know think of your education as being tools in your toolkit and really study something that you love but those skills you know, I, I developed an amazing memory because I studied three languages and I was fluent in three foreign languages as well as English. And I think you need basic skills uh, to get on in any job. So you need your education, you need your networks, and that's your peers. And often women are particularly bad at doing that. You know, we don't go to the pub after the office. We've always got to rush off or get home or uh, pick the kids up or whatever. But you do need networks. And even if it's a bit artificial, um, I've been involved in lots of networking for women. Um, and I think you've got to aim high and not be afraid of aiming high, which an awful lot of women, I think, still find as uh, tricky. You know, they don't mm. want to stand out. They don't want to, to be the one who's looked at. But I think if you've got a vision, you need to be invest in that vision, give yourself time and space to give it a texture and a colour and, you know, fill in the blanks and to really invest in that and to go for it. And and in terms of money, it's a. I mean, your your passion is obviously about as we talked about bringing arts to the masses. It's about quality. Um, you've also got with the boards that you're on, national member of the Arts Council, joint chair of the Hall for I've Cornwall. I've just stepped down from the Arts Council okay. after nearly ten years. Well, I think I was their longest serving. Uh, I mean, these member. things these things say to me, yes, the money's important, but you've got a much bigger goal in life. I think you've got to put back, haven't you? You've yeah. really got to put back that I've been fortunate. I was given opportunities and I think you've got to reinvest back into things and I feel that very strongly. I also think when I was running the, the market leader, 
I think if you are the leader in a, in a sector, you've got to have views and opinions and to be seen and to be out there. So I spent a lot of time when I was at ATG being the outward-facing representative, having an opinion about whatever the issue of the day might be. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. And I think a lot of food for thought and some really great, simple, wise words for men and women thinking about moving into this crazy world called telling stories. Um, <laughs> just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Uh, my song choice is the unique Aretha Franklin. Uh, she is just amazing. Remember her at Barack Obama's inauguration with that amazing hat with a huge bow on it on that freezing cold day. And uh, I've chosen Respect because I think she is the woman singing this song. is confident, strong, and she's how I would like to be in life. That was Aretha Franklin and Respect, the song choice of my business shaper today, Dame Rosemary Squire. She talks about the importance of telling stories in whatever form, and that's really driven her whole ethos in life. She talked about the vision that she and her partner had for creating an integrated offering in the theatre world, and that's exactly what she did. And she also talked about women in business, how important it was to have an education, to have your networks, and to be a role model when you're at the top, and to give back all the things that she absolutely does. Brilliant stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers. <laughs>